0: Romans chapter 15, I want to uh, read to you this morning from this great book and this great chapter, it only gets better and better as we go, verse 22 through verse 29 this morning if you'll follow along in your Bible, it says this, this is the reason I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At the present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. verses on the theme, Giving to God's Work. Please pray with me, and let's ask God to help us as we study this morning. Father, we thank you for your text. We thank you for this revealed word. We pray that you would speak to us, God. Help me as I communicate, that I would communicate with clarity, with truthfulness, your word, not merely my ideas, that you would open our hearts to be shaped by Christ this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In C.S. Lewis' classic book, The Screwtape Letters, a fictional demon is instructing his fictional nephew, Demon, on how to destroy. Humanity. And as he instructs his young nephew, he explains this. He says, The humans live in time, but our enemy, enemy referring to God, our enemy destines them to eternity. So humans live in time, but God destines them to eternity. He, meaning God, the enemy, quote-unquote, He, therefore, wants them to attend chiefly to two things. To eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present. So this demon, this fictional demon, says, hey, God wants humans to focus on eternity and now. Just these two time periods that we have. And so knowing this, the senior demon advises his young nephew to tempt the humans to focus on the past and the future. If we can get them to worry about the future and to dwell on the past, then they do not think about eternity and they are ineffective in the moment. I wonder if anybody says, hmm. You see where I'm going here. You see we're tempted as humans. We're tempted to spend our time regretting the past and worried about the future, not thinking of eternity, and therefore wholly ineffective today. We're tempted to focus on yesterday's failures, contemplating the concerns of tomorrow, and missing present opportunities. We're tempted to regret time that we cannot get back and worry about time that we know nothing of. We don't even know if we'll have it. And we're missing eternity and today. When I read Paul and I read this this passage, my first just kind of impression is, man, Paul is focused on eternity. He's just constantly pushing for this eternal goal, and that drives how he thinks about the present. Now, eternity is not explicitly mentioned in the verses I just read to you. Yet eternity, and his focus on eternity, is undergirding everything he says here as he's talking to the Romans in this great letter. We feel a relentless effectiveness. In Paul's writing and in Paul's work. We feel a relentless pursuit of partnership and collaboration with the church in Rome as they, in verse 24, support his ministry. Now he's going to Spain. Paul just doesn't stop. He just keeps going. And as we look at verse 24, and it it really, in some ways, verse 24 is the key to understanding this whole passage. What we're doing here is we're, we're realizing that Romans, in part, is a missionary letter. It's a support letter. In part, Paul is saying, hey, I have plans to go to Spain, and I'm hoping that you're going to help me get there in verse 24. That's the key to understanding the whole, the whole passage, and I'll explain it to you as we go so I want to talk then about Paul's reasoning as to why the church in Rome would want to give to the work in Spain. Why would the church care to give to God's work elsewhere? And it's a legitimate question because we as regular human beings have things to do. We have places to go. We've got games we want to play. We've got jobs we want to get. We've got problems that we need to solve. And so often as we're living our lives, we feel like we're in this vortex of bewilderment. We are perplexed in our allegiances. We are disordered in our devotion. And so then the call for us to spend ourselves On behalf of the hungry, as uh, Jeremiah says, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, that sounds like somebody else's job, but not mine. Someone else can care to give up themselves to God's work, but I got too much of my own work that I can't even keep up with, much less giving to God's. So what's natural for us, and this is our tendency, this is, I'm, I'm kind of warning us here, What's natural for us is to care about me and mine. To just focus on myself and to focus on those that I feel immediately responsible for and block everything else out. What's unnatural, it becomes natural. With the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about this. It's our new natural. What is the truly blessed life is to live for a bigger cause, and that cause is eternity, an eternal focus. So this morning, we're in Romans 15. If you're new here, uh, it's good to know that we just simply are going through the book of Romans, and here we are in Romans chapter 15. That's why we chose this passage. It's a passage on giving, and if you're thinking, oh man, this is the first time here, it's another church that talks about giving, they must talk about giving every Sunday, well, we don't. That just proves this is your first time here. (laughs) But Romans 15 is really interesting, and I I, I like the breakdown of this. Because what we saw last week, Romans 15 verses 14 through 21, was Paul's strategy taking the gospel all the way around the Mediterranean where Christ was not known. Now in verses 23 through 29, he talks about giving to missions to this cause as he's now going to Spain. And then next time we're in Romans, in two weeks Eric's preaching next Sunday, next time we're in Romans, we'll look at verses 30 through 32 where Paul talks about praying for missions. And so it kind of neatly works out into three sermons, looking at our need to be about the gospel mission, which is what we looked at last week, but not just our own individual mission, but also helping others in their work, aka giving to missions, and not only that, but next time, praying for missions. So today we're looking at giving. Why does does this matter? Why does it matter? to focus for a moment on giving money. Well, it matters in this way. Money, in many ways, money for us symbolizes our livelihood and our security. You know, we live in a cash society. You need money to survive. And so money then has a tendency to build a ladder into the throne room of our heart and take over. Because we're concerned about our security. We're concerned about our livelihood. We're, we're concerned about our future. And so, money, I think more than any, anything else, money has a tendency to be worshipped in our society and even among us. But but the love of money is the root of all evil. So, the worship of money, you can just look around society from the streets to the, the boardroom in uh, uh, top corporations. The love of money makes people ugly. It doesn't lead to beauty, it doesn't lead, lead to, to mercy and grace and love. And so, what better way than to take control of money than to say, you know what? You don't belong to me; you belong to God, and I'm giving some of that away. So this is good for our soul, but it's also good for the gospel ministry to go forward. So as we look at this, here's what I want to do: I want us to take our eyes off of ourselves and look around. And this is, I'm going to divide the text into five five parts. I want us to look forward, I want us to look inward, I want us to look outward, I want us to look backward, and I want us to look the only other way we haven't looked, upward. Someone might say, well, we haven't looked downward exactly. In this text, Paul is coming off of this conversation on, hey, I really wanted to visit you Roman churches But I haven't because I've been going where there have been no churches to plant churches. And so that's why he never came to Rome because there's a faithful church or a number of churches that are already there. And so that's where we pick it up in verse 22 where Paul says, this is the reason I've been so hindered coming to you because of his work planting churches. Verse 23, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. In verse 28, we see that Paul plans first to go to Jerusalem to deliver an offering. And then after that, he's going to come to Rome. And in verse 24, he's going to enjoy their company for a while. You know, Paul wants to see Rome, but you know that Paul wants to see Rome for a different reason than you want to see Rome? Paul doesn't want to see Rome just simply because it's the current capital of the world. He's not going to see Rome to, to, uh, to see the sights and to drink good wine and to, uh, to enjoy the cathedrals, which don't yet exist. Paul wants to see Rome because there are Christians there. And for Paul, he loves Christians. He loves the blood-bought citizens of God. Like there is no greater sight to be seen by Paul than the sight of a redeemed sinner. There's nothing greater for him that brings him more joy as he goes on his travels. It doesn't matter how beautiful the Mediterranean is or how much culture there is. There's nothing that brings him greater joy than to see the redeemed icons of God. And there's one way that we can apply this, just a real simple application. As you guys travel maybe for summer vacation, keep that in mind. The greatest sights in Ocean City, Maryland is not the ocean. It's the Christians that live there. So when you're there, find them and worship with them and enjoy them as you go about your travels in Baltimore City and beyond. Love the people of God like Paul loved the people of God. And so this, in some ways, then brings me to my first point, and that is this. Paul is so future-oriented on eternity That even as he thinks about people, brothers and sisters, he has never met. He can't wait to meet them. And so why then should we give to God's work? Number one, look forward. Look forward. Martin Luther once said that he only has two days on his calendar. And those two days are today and that day. That day meaning the day that Jesus comes again. That day meaning the day when all tears are wiped away and the dead are raised to life never to die again and the redeemed are brought together as the great people of God worshiping the Lamb and Christ himself moves in to live forever with the redeemed. And Luther says, I only live in two days. I live in that day because I don't know about tomorrow and I can't go back to yesterday. I live in that day, and I live in this day. You see, when I was growing up, I remember hearing people say, don't be so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. Do you know that that's impossible? That's impossible. Like, Luther himself was very heavenly-minded, and he probably did more earthly good than most Christians over the last 500 years. And how much more so the Apostle Paul, who is so focused on that future destination of heaven. When you read the writings of Paul, his motivation was never something to attain on earth. It was always the sweet by and by. But it didn't make him paralyzed today. You know, unlike some of our past philosophers, religion didn't cause him to just be lax and sit back on his hands and not do anything for society. But no, it actually had the reverse effect. His eternal mind focusing on that day made him more effective today, not less. And so we look forward. We are a forward-looking people. For Paul, he's fueled by it. He's fueled by this final day. Think about it. Paul just spent 20 years traveling the Mediterranean, planting churches everywhere that Christ is not known. And what he said is, is Roman churches, I can finally come and visit you because there's no place left to go. This dude has been busy. Like, he looks around and he's like everywhere in this entire region, there is a missionary sending gospel presence. And Paul's not braggadocious, but that came out of Paul's ministry. And there's no place else left to go. Now, Paul could have said, hey, I'm just chilling. Like, I'm done. I'm tired. I've been at this for a long time. I've been in a... I've been through a riot in Ephesus. I've dealt with all the problems in the Corinthian church. I've been persecuted. I've been abandoned. I've been, uh, I'm constantly counseling and needed and called upon. Like, look at the matter. Like, we're good. I'm done. I'm going to find a nice little retirement cottage on the coast of Smyrna and chill out. But Paul can't stop looking forward. And so as he looks forward, he sees a past Italy. And he sees Spain. New territory, a new frontier. Men and women who have never heard the name of Jesus. Souls that are dying without any hope in eternity. And Paul can't stop. He keeps on pushing, he keeps on going, and, and as a matter of fact, even as he thinks about his partnership with the church in Rome here, and as much as he wants to see them, and as much as he loves them, Paul doesn't make an idol of them. I mean, I, I, the feeling I get is like, I really want to be with you, I really want to see, with you, see you, and by the way, I'm going to, we're going to enjoy each other's company, but I'm just passing through, because we're going to be together for all of eternity, and we got to look at Spain. And so his love relationship with the church in Rome then is actually going to be one of collaboration and partnership and support to send Paul to Spain. Paul wants the Roman churches to become the sending force for the new Western Front, the new mission that he believes. He's moving toward. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. If Paul is alive, he breathes because of Christ. Everything about his life is fueled by his passion with Jesus Christ. Why would the Roman Christians care about Spain when they have enough Souls in Rome still to evangelize. It's the same reason Paul cares about Spain. It's because Paul is looking forward, and he can't stop in his mission. James Montgomery Boyce put it like this. He said, the missionary task has not ended until every person has heard of Jesus Christ. Look at your hand. You know, when you look at your hand, just think about it. Soon enough, your hand is going to decay. Soon enough, your hand will be buried and the flesh will turn into dust and there will be nothing left than a couple bones that will eventually turn into dust. Soon enough, your loved ones will see one hand over another hand, cold, lying in a casket, Yes, you came to church this morning to be encouraged. (laughs) But let's be real for a minute. Life is quickly fading. Now, as you think about that, as you think about your hand, it shouldn't lead us to despair. It should lead us to action, you see. That's, That's the Christian deliberation. It's the Christian motivation. What will you do with your hand? What will you do with your strength? What will you do with your words? How will you use this time that the Lord has given you? For Paul, he says, one thing I do, I forget what is behind. And I strain toward what is ahead. And he doesn't mean a focus on just simply his plans for the next 20 years. When he says, I strain toward what ahead, he qualifies it by saying, I press on toward the goal. And for Paul, the goal was not a nice retirement or a nice house or a nice life. The goal was to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Why care about the souls of those we'll never see? Because in an unrelenting fashion, we look forward. Secondly, why we give to God's work. Secondly, we look inward. We look inward in ourselves. So Paul, he goes on and he uses the Greek churches here as a model. So the reason he references what he's doing, I think, is to show the Romans a motivation and an encouragement to think about supporting his work to Spain. And so in verse 25, he says he's going to take Jerusalem aid. He's taking the saints there, a gift that has been given. He's going to hand deliver it in verse 28. Verse 26 tells us, that it's for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was very poor. And after the persecution of the church uh, in Jerusalem, the saints that were left behind were even more poor. They had nothing. They they were starving. They had no jobs. They had no capital. They had no money. And so Paul had been collecting an offering all through Greece to take to Jerusalem. And so he references here Macedonia and Achaia. These are two areas that really compose all of Greece. And what he's saying is, is, I'm taking to Jerusalem an offering from these churches there for their benefit. But what I want to focus on and point out is in verse 26 and 27. As Paul references Macedonia and Achaia, he talks about how they gave and why they gave. And what he says is, verse 26, they were pleased. Somebody say pleased. Pleased. They were pleased to make some contribution. Verse 27, again, he says they were pleased to do it. Pleased. They wanted to. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, When you give, do not give under compulsion, but instead give cheerfully. Paul doesn't require their giving. He doesn't demand it. He says they gave because they wanted to. They gave because they were not under compulsion. They gave because they were cheerful givers. They were willing givers. Has God given you resources to share for gospel work, for an eternal impact? Have you ever filled out one of these forms and no matter what answer you give, there's like another click drop down uh, form that you have to fill out? Well, imagine we're doing that right now. Do you have any resources to share? Somebody clicks, no, I don't. <laughs> Drop down, new question. Answer. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 through 4. As Paul is talking about how the Macedonians gave, how did they give? Well, we're told in Romans 15 that the Macedonians were pleased to. In 2 Corinthians 8, he says this about the Macedonians. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And then he says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. What he's saying is, is oh, by the way, these Macedonians, they were poor. He, not just poverty, he says extreme poverty. Yet it welled up in rich generosity. How does that work? How does extreme poverty well up Enriched generosity. And he goes on to say that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Meaning God blessed their desire to give and God made it to where they were able to give even beyond their ability. Why did they do it? He says they pleaded with us. They pleaded with us to let us share in this service to the Lord's people. So, no, I, I can't give, I don't have, I've got my own needs. Answer. Needs at home never means that we should be careless about the needs elsewhere. Yes, the Lord gives us resources to meet our needs as a church, individually, and we should always be seeking to give according to our ability and beyond our ability for the work of God. Well, another person might click on my form here. Yes, I do have resources to share. All right? The Lord has given me a job. I know how to make some dollars. Um, I've got an extra room in my house. I've got food in my fridge. Well, then, saints, be pleased to give. Be pleased to give. So here's the principle. We are to look inside of ourselves, look inward is my point, and ask ourselves, what is my heart's desire? And what we discover is that the gospel transforms our heart's desire. And we no longer desire to spend our extra money on you know a new pair of shoes or new clothes or a new car but we have new desires to see the gospel work of god furthered whether locally or globally you see religious folks give out of sheer duty and i could say that unreligious folks give out of a sense of shame and guilt god is not interested in either of those kinds of gifts You see, the believer, the gospel-transformed individual, they give because they're pleased to give. They give because they want to give. Why? Because they've been given much. Because they've been given much in Christ. Because the Father gave His Son to be the Savior of the world. Because the Son gave His whole life so that we might be saved. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds. We are healed. And that transforms our desires. And we say, well, what can I give in return? How can I pay God back? Well, you can't pay Him back. It's free gift. It's, it's total grace. And there's an irony here. You owe Him nothing. And you owe him everything. But drops of grief can ne'er repay. The debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. It's all that I can do. Why? Because at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, there my, the burden of my heart rolled away. And it was there by grace I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day happy to give we look inward why do we give to God's work it's because you want to that's why someone might say well why why are you sharing not just your money but your other resources why are you so generous with your home why are you so generous with your car why are you so generous with your people why are you so generous with your clothing why are you so generous with your cash whatever it is why it's I don't I, it's because I want to I'm pleased to, and I want to share in this service to God's people. That's why. That's why we give to missions. Some say, well, I'll give when I'm rich. I'll give when I'm rich. A lot of people say that, actually. Yeah, well, two things. Number one, you'll never be rich. No, I'm just <laughs> Maybe you will. I don't know. I hope some of you are. But listen, if that is your mentality, you won't give when you're rich. A good friend of mine works with very, very wealthy people. He's a pastor of a church where the average member is a millionaire. And he said some of them are extremely generous. But he said it's the hardest work I've ever been called to. Because most of them are building barns. Most of them see their money as their money that they earned. It's their security, and they are afraid to part with it. Others say, well, okay, we're supposed to give cheerfully and willingly. I can't do that. (laughs) So I won't give at all. I heard somebody, somebody came up a couple of years ago. Somebody came up to me after the service, and they were like, "You know, Joel, um, just want to let you know I haven't been giving lately because I can't do it cheerfully. Just want to let you know. <laughs> all right, well, you didn't have to tell me at all, actually, <laughs> but now that you did, um, get your heart right so you can do the right thing. All right, like my heart being in the wrong place is not an excuse for wrong stinginess. Right, uh, stinginess." shows a brittle heart. Whereas generosity, it does two things. One, it shows a warm heart, and generosity can also create a warm heart. Our heart is where our treasures are. Where are you storing your treasures? So the Christian then says, I give because I want to. I look inward and I have this inner compulsion. So like the Macedonians, like those in Achaia, we're pleased to give to God's work. So let's look forward and let's look inward. Number three, Let's look outward, outward. And what I mean is just look around at each other. This is what I mean by outward. We look at each other as we give. We don't give as individual philanthropists. We don't give just on our own, but we give collectively. We give as a fellowship. We give as a community, meaning our joy in giving is actually part of our joy in fellowship as a church. It's a joyful thing together. We want to enjoy things together. Just, just for example, when you watch a funny movie, and there's this like sort of funny little scene. Have you ever seen Lego Batman? It's, so my, my favorite part in Lego Batman, great movie, by the way, you got Lego Batman sitting in his, his theater room, right? And he's watching this funny movie, and he goes, uh, and he laughs, and he looks around, and he realizes you can't share this moment with anybody. I was watching a movie last night with Haddon and Chapman, and there was this funny scene, and I saw Chapman. He reached all the way around to look at Haddon to share this moment together of laughing. Have you ever noticed that we do that? When we're enjoying a moment, we look to one another to enjoy that moment with. That's the same thing in our giving. When we give, we enjoy this moment together. We give as an outgrowth of our fellowship and of our love. We realize that we're part of this bigger family. So look at verse 26. Let me show you where I get this in the text. In verse 26, he says that those in Macedonia and Achaia, they are pleased to give a contribution. Somebody say contribution. contribution. That word feels cold in the text, doesn't it? But in the Greek, the word is koinoneon. And I don't know, you know if you've got like an elementary understanding of gr- the Greek language, but koinonia means what? Anybody? Fellowship. So this contribution is connected with the concept of fellowship, meaning their giving was part of their fellowship together. It was an outgrowth and an extension of the overflow of participation in the body of Christ. Meaning we don't give to BG&E as an overflow of our fellowship. But when we take up an offering on a Sunday morning and give it to God's work, or when we give a specific offering to someone, or we send Jaden Gadsden out on missions, or whatever we're doing. You know, I think of last uh, uh, December, we took up an offering together to help pay for a kidney transplant for a pastor that, that we're uh, seeking to support. That, that is different than giving to BG&E. That is an outgrowth of our love for one another. It's an outgrowth of our fellowship with one another. So we look forward, we look inward, we look outward, and then also we look backward. Let me keep going here. Number four, we look backward, verse 27. Verse 27 tells us why those in Achaia and Macedonia were pleased to give. He says, for they were pleased to do it, and need they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, then they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. He's saying the reason they give was because they looked backward and they saw that they were blessed spiritually from their ministry. Well, what does this mean? Remember, the, the 12 apostles all came out of Jerusalem. The reason those in Achaia and those in Macedonia, those in all of this known world at the time, the reason any of them became Christians was because of the ministry coming out of Jerusalem. And so what he's saying is that as they look backward, what they see is that they've been spiritually blessed by these ministers, and so they owe it to them to bless them with material things. Now, Um, This is not just a sermon about paying me as a pastor, but I do want to make a quick point here, all right? This is my little qualification. Um, One commentator says that this is part of Paul's precedence in supporting full-time pastors or gospel workers or missionaries, those who have been freed up from secular work to serve the local church or to take the gospel as an evangelist. Why? Why do we do it? Well, part of it is looking backward and seeing that there is a spiritual blessing that comes from this individual, and they can be set, set, set aside for gospel work. Now, let me just say this real quick. On pastoral, on full-time work, whether you're a, a, a full-time pastor, a missionary, gospel worker, working for a church, whatever, it is not a career you're actually freed up from a career. You're freed up from a pursuit of a career so that you can pour yourself into the church of God. And as soon as you start turning it into a career and start thinking about ladders to climb and promotions to get and opportunities and ways to pad your pockets, you've lost it. You've lost it. So even as Paul is talking to the Roman churches, and he's saying, hey, I'm hoping that you will, verse 24, help me as I go to Spain, he's not looking for them to just pad his pockets. But what he wants is for them to join him so that they might hear resounding praises from the the, the, the Spanish speakers who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as as these churches in Rome as they give to Jerusalem they do it because they look backward and they see how those committed to the gospel work blessed them and so they bless others Look forward, look inward, look outward, look backward, and lastly number 5, look upward. Look upward. This is how Paul ends it. Finally Paul looks upward. One commentator says that verse 29 is a sigh of relief for Paul. Paul looking forward to that day when he finally delivers this offering to Jerusalem which by the way was a very dangerous mission. There were people in Jerusalem that hated him that wanted him dead. And Paul's kind of seeing beyond that and he's like when I when I get there when I deliver this, oh, a sigh of relief. When I can sit in your presence, Roman Christians, and enjoy your fellowship. And what he says is, he says, I know when I come to you, verse 29, he says, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Fullness there means the full measure of Christ's blessings. Oh, you can have blessings from your job. You could have blessings from your family, you can have blessings from your community, but there is no greater blessing than the spiritual blessings that come from our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul envisions is, is that this kind of work, this kind of forward-thinking gospel work where we keep on pressing, what he believes is that in it is the fullness of Christ's blessings. Matthew Henry put it like this. He said, Paul expected that God would bring him to them loaded with blessings. Loaded with blessings. I like how the 16th century Puritan used modern slang. Loaded with blessings. Look, many people go to church week after week and they do not know the blessings of Christ. Many could intellectually sign off on the gospel doctrines, yet they do not know the blessings of the gospel. Why give to God's work? Why, Paul, would you go to Jerusalem where it's dangerous? I think Paul's answer is is because that's where true happiness is in service to the Lord, in giving to God's work. And someone might push back and say, well, wait a second, are you saying that you know if we give to God, then we get in this world? Is that what you mean? No, not necessarily. You know, for Paul, as this story is played out, when Paul does go to Jerusalem, he ends up getting arrested there. Yet, they can never steal Christ's blessing. Paul, after he gets arrested, he is, sits in a prison cell for two years. But you know, Paul was known to sing hymns while he was sitting in prison. Because even a prison cell can't steal Christ's blessing. Paul is falsely accused by those he stands in front of The the, the kings on trial, yet the false accusations cannot steal Christ's blessings from Paul. Instead, Paul merely shares the gospel with King Agrippa and all of those he gets the opportunity to stand in front of. Paul finally appeals to Caesar, and you know what? He eventually does get to Rome. He finally gets there in chains. I want to read to you from the book of Acts, chapter 28. This is the moment when Paul finally does arrive in Rome in chains. It says the brothers from Rome, when they heard about Paul and those coming and landing in in the area, they came as far as the forum of Appius in the three taverns to meet Paul. And when Paul saw them, Paul thanked God and took courage. He came in chains, but was in the fullness of Christ's blessing. His chains couldn't steal his joy. His chains couldn't steal his thankfulness before God. His chains couldn't steal the courage that he took from the, from the churches. In Rome. You see, the blessing of Christ is a joy that is made full. The blessing of Christ is confidence to approach the throne of God. The blessing of Christ is grace in a time of need, it is forgiveness of sins, a peace that passes all understanding. The blessing of Christ is living your life unto the Lord. The blessing of Christ is being crucified with Christ, saying it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. The blessing of Christ is a love from God that endures forever. Why do we give to God's work? It's because that's where true blessedness is found. You know, when you invest in property, They say there are three rules. You know what the three rules are? Location, location, location. As we invest in God's work, we are investing in a zip code where our investment will not be destroyed. As we invest in God's work, we're investing in a city where thieves don't break in and steal. Why give to God's work? Well, it's because that's what Christ did. He who was worthy, he who was God in the flesh, on that old rugged cross, gave everything so that the Father's work might be accomplished in redeeming God's people. So because of Christ, we store up our treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves Do not break in and steal. Why do we give? Because I'm looking forward to eternity. Why do we give? Because I'm looking inward and my heart compels me to give. Why do we give? It's because we look outward and I see my brothers and sisters and we give as a fellowship. Why do we give? It's because I look backward and I see the gospel impact on my own life. Why do we give? It's because I look upward and I see true blessedness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings of Jesus Christ We thank you for the fact that we are citizens of this new world that is coming. And God, I pray that we as citizens of this kingdom would be people that give to that work, that we would live in these two days, today and that day that is to come, that we might be most effective now, in this day, for your work, for the good of the people around us, for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.